Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Welcome and thank you for joining us for this week's episode. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and periodically we have the opportunity to address some topical matters here on the podcast, and this is one of those times I'm really looking forward to discussing with two of my fellow elders here at Grace, the biblical call for and the role of local church elders. So joining me today are two men who have studied this topic of church eldership extensively and who've also excelled in their roles as elders of our local church here at Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville. Adam Hammett and Chris Miller, thank you for your service to our church, and thank you for taking the time to share with us about this important church government matter. Thank you, Bart. Thanks, Bart. Uh, Glad to work with you and uh, share this podcast with you. Well, I have been blessed to serve with both of these men for four years with you, Adam, and for five with Chris in the eldership here at Grace, and uh, to have witnessed their faithfulness and uh, the way that they use their gifts, and we're just so blessed to have them. So, gentlemen, let's, let's go ahead and move into it. As you know, you experienced our church adopted a plural elder form of church leadership about six years ago. We had been practicing a single senior pastor leadership format for over 60 years since our church began back in the 1950s. And so for those in our congregation who might even still be, or they've come since we started our eldership, they may be asking why we made that change or why we have continued in that. Maybe there's somebody in another church who is listening who's asking why they might want to consider a similar type of move to an eldership. So what are maybe two or three of the key arguments for such a plural leadership structure? Um, Good question for everyone, I think. Uh, Let me just start back with the history in our church because 15 years ago or so when Craig Miller proposed this or started talking about this, I had, I'd had no horse in the race, and I, it didn't matter to me. I, I wasn't displeased with what we had, nor was I enamored with the uh, eldership. I just thought, well, this is one of those things they do in California that Craig is bringing here. <laughs> and, and then uh, the more he talked about it, the more I began to realize, oh, he's not bringing it from California. He's bringing it from Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi. And, and began to look into the scriptures and find out that, yeah, you know, there's plural eldership all over the place here. I don't know how I missed it. And so the more he began to talk about it um, over time, I think he did, he was very wise. He just kind of gently led us along, and I got more and more intrigued. And then after serving on the board, saw how how beautiful it actually could be to share the leadership and share the load. And I think one of the things that convinced me early on it was a good idea was because it was obviously not any kind of grab for power on his part. In fact, if anything, <laughs> he was shedding power. He was sharing power with mm-hmm. others. So that right there made you think that these, these are coming from good motives in a good place. And in fact, uh, uh, the, the, the wisdom of it, I think, is shown in, in the fruit that I think we have been able to see. It's easier for me to say that because I've experienced it on the board. I hope that our congregation has been able to see that, the benefit of it, from uh, the outside. Right. And Adam, your, your experience is a little different. You came to Grace just before we went to an eldership. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's right, Bart. So our family moved here in the summer of 2015. And uh, to be honest, we had been at two previous uh, Baptist churches, actually even before I was married to my wife, Rachel, and had seen a similar attempt at transition to a, a plurality of elders. And frankly, it, it was not handled well. There wasn't really a 
good argument given from Scripture to support what was uh, being moved toward and uh, ended up not going well. Um, at the time, I didn't really have uh, what I would consider to be a robust enough biblical background to, to understand the biblical arguments for plural eldership. Uh, but I came here in the summer of 2015. My wife, uh, who had never experienced a move like this in the past, just thought, oh, this is, this is interesting. And uh, the discussion started, and I was thinking to myself, uh-oh, what are we getting into here? <laughs> uh, having experienced this twice prior and not and, seen it uh, and by go the, well. And by the way, uh, some of us who had been here for 20 or 25 years were wondering some of the same things at the time. What <laughs> might we be getting into here? That's right. That's right. But I do know, uh, you know, after the fact, uh, I've discovered that Craig had been kind of laying the groundwork for that for a decade, basically. Right. It had been kind of a slow teaching process, trying to unpack what Scripture says about this, making a biblical case for eldership. And then that process was kind of climaxing in the summer of 2015. And then ultimately there was a congregational vote that took place near the end of 2015. And then the eldership started in January of 2016. And I was just incredibly impressed with how smoothly that went. I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent affirmation, obviously, but it was roundly supported by the church. There wasn't some kind of church split that took place. And I would say that even people that were skeptical at first have come around as they've seen this play out in practice. Right. Well, Chris, you had mentioned here just a few moments ago that as you begin looking at Scripture, you're saying, wow, this is just painted all over the passages mm -hmm. of the New Testament in particular. Can you point out some of those that really hit you, some of those thoughts or some of those, uh, whether it's individual passages or just trends throughout the Scriptures that you saw that you had never really paid a whole lot of attention to maybe before? Yeah, sure. I mean, in Acts chapter 20, when... Paul meets with the Ephesian elders, plural, uh, as he greets the elders in most of his epistles, even, even as Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, right? So mm -hmm. just over and over you see this. And then, again, there's, there's also the outworking of um, shared leadership mm -hmm. um, that, that you see and the wisdom of that. So people sharing the load and overseeing and working together as a team, mm -hmm. which is a very biblical concept in the beginning. God is all about communities, all about church. Why shouldn't there be that kind of community feel, even in the leadership structures? Right. Well, and I remember uh, back in that 2015 uh, time period when we were discussing this and when we were teaching through in our ABFs, our adult Bible fellowships, uh, in the church, collective church service, the corporate church service, uh, people would ask, are you saying what we've done for over 60 years is wrong? <laughs> and, and I appreciated the response of those who responded. They said, not wrong, but perhaps we should be doing it the way the Scripture evidences mm -hmm. it was done back then. And so uh, lest anyone thinks we were you know, castigating the church for 60 years of oh, a yeah. one way, no, that's not at all what we were or are doing, simply saying, hey, we think this is a better model. Yeah. And... Uh, while some may disagree, I think that we who are serving or have served as elders, 
I think we would agree that there's been a robustness in mm-hmm. the ministry that we've seen, and we, we maybe get into some of that robustness that we have noticed or that we've been able to be a part of. So uh, this past Sunday, one of our elders, that's Trent Rogers, shared a brief sermon from First Peter 5 that accentuated the pastoral or, or the shepherding function mm-hmm. of the church elders. <clears throat> Chris, can you speak to some of the other functions that are laid out in Scripture, whether it's just in the narrative it's describing, mm-hmm. or maybe it's the calling the elders to a certain type of ministry uh that church elder work it's not only shepherding and pastoring what are some other things that you see there yeah good good point uh and you can do that by by the by the narratives by the stories or by the words themselves and uh the three words that are used over and over in acts and uh, in first peter five are elders and overseers uh and shepherds mm-hmm. um that doesn't always sometimes they're in the noun form sometimes in the verb form but you get the idea here in First Peter 5, he says, be shepherds, right? Shepherd the people. So it, it, it has that idea of the tender care and, and oversight of and loving the sheep. The overseeing, uh, again, means we're watching out. We're keeping an eye on everything to see that everyone's healthy. No one's being taken away. No one's being, uh, you know, preyed upon by the enemy. And, and then also the elder. Um, the, it's, it's, it is by definition someone with experience, with wisdom, so that you're not taken by uh, current uh, theological fads and trends. You've been around for a while. As Paul says, don't lay hands on anyone too early. Mm-hmm. Make sure they're not a novice. Make sure that they have a cer- certain experience and seasoning under their belt. Right, right. Very good. Mm-hmm. Very good. So in that same sermon from 1 Peter 5, we heard that one of the roles of the church member mm-hmm. is to submit or uh, put in some of our Bibles as be subject to the elders of the church. So Adam, can you talk about the biblical directive? Uh, that's very difficult to follow, let's face it, but it seems to be in keeping with a general pattern that God has laid out throughout the, throughout the scriptures. Can you speak to this act of or, or the spirit of submission that God presents over and over in scripture? Yeah, that's right. So submission is a topic that just appears throughout the scriptures uh, all the way back to the beginning. And then ultimately, uh, we see it climaxing in the work of Christ and submitting to the will of the Father all the way to the cross. Um, We see this pattern play out in interpersonal relationships, in the marriage relationship, uh, and we see it uh, articulated here as it pertains to how the leadership of the church is to function uh, in uh, in eldership. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will say that this also applies to elders submitting to other elders. You read my mind. I was going there. That's right. (laughs) So uh, there have been times where... uh, I've thought, man, I don't know that I agree with this, but then all these other guys seem to be saying the same thing. And I submit myself to that because uh, the Lord can work in incredible ways through uh, a multitude of counselors. Full disclosure, if I can add parenthetically, Adam is the chairman of our Council of Elders this year and has been (laughs) this year and part of last year. So uh, even during the time you're chairman, have you seen times that you said to submit to the other men? Yeah, certainly I have. So, I mean, uh, we've had some robust discussions about uh, certain topics, one of them being communion and something as basic as even the frequency with which we practice communion. Um, I might have thought one thing and uh, a majority of the other guys thought another thing. And I submit myself to that because I just know that, man, it really seems like the Lord is calling us to celebrate this 
more frequently, mm -hmm. even though I don't necessarily think that that's something we have to do right now. I submit myself to that. And, uh, and in that particular case, you know, uh, I, w I had to go actually implement that. I had to go talk to individuals <laughs> and convince them that this was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has some ramifications. Mm -hmm. So submission isn't something that just applies to the membership on the whole, right. you know, with respect to the elders. It's elders submitting to one another in their leadership role. Right. And it's a beautiful uh, lesson to learn when you, when you just say, man, there's just something going on here that is deeper than, than just... Uh, than just me wanting to be in charge or having to submit. Right. I'm sitting here listening to Adam talk as someone who's watched this from the inside. But I just want to say to people who have not been in those meetings, uh, the dynamic here is a sweet submission. Uh, and even though we have robust arguments, not arguments, robust discussions, um, no, no one goes away. Come on, Miller. No there one, have been some arguments. <laughs> no, no one goes away, no, goes away mad. No one no, goes away with right. a... And, and I think that's that's the spirit's work. That's the beauty of the dynamic. And you say, this is this is good. We don't all think the same way, but there's no one angry. And I feel like th this is the way things are supposed to work. And uh, I don't always get my way. and You don't always get your way. But we always feel like this is the best way for grace to be led. Yeah, that's right. And, and one of the illustrations I regularly use, and you and I were in there, and I believe Adam was there as well, where there was an issue that came up, mm -hmm. and there was a divide as to should we do this or not. And without yeah. going into the particulars, a vote of seven to seven yeah. was what ensued. And those who were <laughs> the fours and those who were the againsts uh, walked out of there, uh, in a couple cases, arm in arm or arm around each other. Yeah and lovingly mm -hmm. portrayed what I believe God wants us to do. Mm -hmm. We can disagree in unity. Mm -hmm. I say that, and I'm referencing Ephesians 4, mm -hmm. uh, certainly in a spirit of unity. Can you talk about the unity? Let me say it this way. The unity that we have experienced in our eldership, Adam, you referenced, it's not always that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You talked about submission. Submission in the scripture is often accompanied by those who are to be submitted to mm -hmm. with a call to humility. Mm. Husband and wife being a great parallel example, I mm -hmm. think. The wife is called to submit, and yes, we do believe that, mm -hmm. but that is paired with the husband giving his life for, and really that sure. is not... It's not overstating the parallel with what uh, Paul's laying out in Ephesians chapter 5 with the husband and wife. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and even there in Ephesians 5, Paul says, and submit to one another. Yeah, one another, yeah, exactly. There, yeah, as exactly. we all know, in good marriages, there is mutual submission. I mean, right. There's, mm -hmm. there's ultimate, but there's certainly mutual. Uh, and, and that's, you see that in First Corinthians, between the father and the son. Right. Yeah. And so it is, it is just God's order for all of his creation and by his spirit, it can work in a beautiful kind of harmony that is spontaneous and pleasing and beneficial. Mm. And we don't always say it in terms of the elder in the church, but or the council of elders in the church, but we certainly do with the husband and wife. It doesn't mean that one is better than the other. Oh, no. It simply means that they have different functions within the church. Sure. And certainly the, the elders have a, a, a responsibility to lead well. 
and the church has a responsibility to submit to that leadership, but also to speak frankly. Mm-hmm. And you, each of you, and or both of you and I have been spoken frankly to over the past two years, and we appreciate that. And we need it. And we need, we that. need that. We yes. certainly do. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's keep moving in this direction. Different churches, and, and even those within the same church traditions, may practice eldership in different ways. And certainly one of the key distinctives is between what might be called an elder rule format versus an elder-led format. And those are, I don't know that those are necessarily technical terms, but I think that they they convey a certain type of leadership. Uh, I think both of those formats, elder rule and elder lead or elder led, can be justified by Scripture and can be uh, practiced scripturally. We practice here at Grace an elder lead format and a congregational rule. That's our form of church polity. Can you, Chris, speak to why we adopted that form of church government and exactly what it means? Yes. Uh, I hope I can explain okay. that well. I'm hoping to, be- too. Be- because I, I'm uh, uh, a strong believer and proponent in this. I feel I feel like we're doing it the right way because of the priesthood of the believer, because mm-hmm. we don't have mediators except for Jesus. And God, we believe that God works through the Spirit in his people. Mm-hmm. And that's why the, the, the church is held accountable so many places in Scripture. Take it to the church, Jesus says in, in uh, Matthew 18. Right. This is the this is the congregation. It's the congregation that is selecting elders, so that we're trusting the Spirit of God to sovereignly work through our people to make His will known. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to me that we can be the ones who help make the decisions and set some strategy. But but we wouldn't be in our position if the people didn't elect us. And if people don't like what we do, they can, you know, not elect us again. And we are absolutely accountable to the congregation. Now I, I think. Where it breaks down is in an elder-ruled situation, especially where, and I'll just speak my my own opinion here, mm-hmm. I don't think where you have elder boards that are perpetuating, self-perpetuating, or where an elder is there for life. I just don't like that because it feels to me it's too easy with human nature to feel like you're the one in control, you're the one who's ruling and no one can touch you. And I've just not seen that work well. I really like where the congregation spontaneously selects godly men and the board turns over every once in a while. So there's a freshness and and we're, we're on the right track. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would say uh, one th- I recently read something that was uh, – just really spot on. And in fact, it came from, from our senior pastoral candidate on this exact topic. Mm. And I just uh, commend this to you. He said, first, all members of the congregation are called to do the work of ministry, from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So the structure of church leadership must be such that all members of the body of Christ are afforded the opportunity to use their gifts freely. Mm-hmm. Second, 1 Peter 2, 5 affirms the priesthood of all believers as each one has equal standing before God on account of Christ's righteousness. Thus, each member of the congregation fundamentally has equal rank and privilege within the local church, invalidating any notion of a hierarchy within church polity. Mm. That said, Paul makes it clear in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 3 that leaders, elders and deacons, are held to a higher standard because of the responsibility they have within the local church as they seek to lead the congregation in carrying out the will of God. Believers are urged to submit to their leaders in Hebrews 13, 17, which Trent Mm -hmm. talked about on Sunday. 
which seems to suggest at least some authority within the local body was given to the leaders and not the members. Furthermore, many of the leaders in the early church were not elected by congregation, but rather were appointed based on their qualifications as recognized by other leaders within the church. So I think that there is a very clear argument to be made for congregational involvement in the selection of leaders. And at the same time, there is an argument to be made for the elders having some level of authority mm-hmm. and added responsibility, and they're held to a higher standard in Scripture as such. So, well, so. And, and we can go back to our, our prior discussion about humility and mm-hmm. submission. Mm-hmm. There it is. There's humility. Uh, we're submit, we are in and of ourselves as elders also in a way submissive to or subject to the congregation's mm-hmm. uh, 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 affirmation of our leadership mm-hmm. by the way we do it. I remember uh, my father-in-law, and uh, you two know that uh, my father-in-law entered heaven's gates uh, just mm-hmm. yesterday mm-hmm. and but one of the things that he I, I still remember him uh, telling me because I questioned why at a prior church that we were involved in they were doing things a certain way as far as the way they selected their leaders uh, they had never done it that way because they came from he came from a more of an what we would consider an elder rule format mm-hmm. but he said uh, we did elections this time because you can't govern somebody or you can't lead somebody who doesn't want you to lead them. Mm-hmm. Very wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really appreciated that perspective. Yeah. 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 So, Well, guys, over the past six years, our Council of Elders here at Grace have served as the pastoral team of the church. We, uh, we believe that that is the scriptural model. We, we don't have a uh, pastor's who are super elders or pastors who are higher than the other elders. We, we've had at any given time up to four vocational elders, uh, what we call on our pastoral staff, so to speak, and up to 10 or 11 non-vocational elders who are all working together as co-leaders, as elders of the church. We know this can cause confusion, sometimes among us, but certainly among the church. And we've had these questions come up, and it's especially for someone who might ask, well, just who's in charge around here? Mm-hmm. We're used to having our, our cultural dynamic is yeah. who's in charge? Who's yeah. the guy? Yeah. Can we discuss some of those dynamics and how we as a Council of Elders here at Grace have worked through that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Adam? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the key here is disposition. Uh, namely, you, if you want to be in charge, <laughs> that's you know, by definition, not a humble disposition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think that there is a danger of, you know, maybe not getting things done because there isn't delegation happening. But I think it, among our group, we've gotten to a point where we kind of understand, no, we all have equal authority here mm-hmm. and equal responsibility to carry out the ministries of the church. And there are going to be times where there are certain ones of us that are, uh, you know, given particular responsibility to carry out a task because we might be more gifted to do so. I mean, one example of that is the preaching team. Uh, In this transitional period, we've appointed a group of individuals that, I mean, we should all be uh, able to teach. That's one of the qualifications of an elder. But there are several of us who just have a lot more experience at that sort of thing, and so we've delegated that responsibility to them. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're like super elders that, that you know, uh, have some added authority because they're the ones that are actually preaching. Okay. But it's just kind of an acknowledgement that they have more experience at this sort of thing. Uh, could it be that, you know, uh, 
I am asked to fill the pulpit at some point in time in the future, sure, I should be able to do that. But frankly, at a church like Grace, I'm probably going to be the 40th best preacher in the, in the congregation. <laughs> no, I, th I thought of somebody else, 41, I think. Oh, yeah. okay. There you go. That's right. So the who's in charge around here? I do think that part of that is kind of a corporate importation. Mm -hmm. That we, we think, you know, in America, it's like we almost run our churches like it's a business at some point in time. And we need to have a boss, mm -hmm. someone who's calling the shots. And it's, that is something that we ought to resist uh, as the church. I mean, that's just not the model that we see in Scripture. We see certain people that are leading in certain ways and that we submit to that. But at the same time, we don't see someone who's in charge per se. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me challenge you on that then. Uh, the book of Titus was written by Paul to one of his, uh, one of his uh, disciples. The book of two books to Timothy, or two letters to Timothy. Were Timothy and Titus not elders of the church? And how would you respond to somebody saying, well, they were the pastors of the church. They were, seemed to be leading singularly because they were out there appointing other elders. And that's sometimes that, that discussion does come up. It, it does, but I think that's a missionary frontier situation. Right. That, that's mm -hmm. when you're starting a church. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to have a church planter, so to speak. So in order to get the show on the road, you use those kinds of methods. But okay, good. An established congregation is not like that. Good. But let me just acknowledge quickly that, that I can understand why someone would say, who is in charge around here? Because I, I kind of felt that way when we first started out. Like, what's the difference between, well, back when we first started, it was Craig and Trent and Mike and Brian those are the vocational guys, like, what is the difference here? But over time, you see it shake itself out so that when we get in that council, everyone is sharing ideas back and forth, and no one has more authority to say, well, that may be what you guys think, but here's how we're going to do it. There, right. there isn't that kind of spirit. Well, and if I can, uh, I think Adam has something to add, but if I can insert there, one of the things I have appreciated, uh, and Grace is a very unique church. We're set in a university, Christian university background uh, backdrop, and we have PhDs in Bible. We have PhDs in just about anything you can think about. Uh, there are maybe one or two of us who isn't, aren't quite there educationally. But the fact of the matter is that I have witnessed, and getting back to that word, humility, mm -hmm. I have witnessed an extreme humility, uh, even deference sometimes towards a guy like me who is not that professional theologian. We're all theologians, but I'm not a professional. And, and, and that has spoken more to my heart than I think uh, those guys or you, know, you guys who are those PhDs can imagine that, uh, you know, that's just been a, uh, an eye-opener to me, and I've really mm. seen a, a real sense of, hey, now we want what God wants, not just what we think is right. Mm -hmm. Adam, you had something else I think you wanted to add. Yeah, that's right. This is just a really important question. I mean, it's one that we've heard from members concerning, uh, especially how is this going to work if a new senior pastor comes in? What is that dynamic going to look like mm -hmm. with this group of elders, especially since this senior pastor isn't going to have started with this group of elders, but they're coming in from the outside. Right. So uh, we made an effort, and Bart did a great job kind of summarizing things here. I just wanted to read this. We, have, we wrote down how we think about the senior pastor-elder dynamic. The senior pastor serves as an elder among the other elders, with each of the elders sharing in the plural pastoral leadership of the church with equal authority and under the ultimate authority of God, as he leads the congregation. The senior pastor has a unique role among the elders as the leader of the vocational pastoral staff, as a primary preacher, 
and as one who is physically present on the church campus more than most of the other elders. This role gives him unique opportunities to develop insights and vision for the church that he shares with the council for strategic development for the welfare of the church. And then some summary points uh, based on this, this statement. One, yes, the senior pastorate is a unique position among the elders. Two, yes, the elders recognize the uniqueness of this position. Three, yes, the person in this role will influence the council in unique ways. But in conclusion, this person still is not above the other elders in authority. Very interesting. Well, uh, that's a, a great definition of the dynamic. And just a full disclosure, you know, we are we are what we think is near the end of a pastoral search uh, here at our church right now, a senior pastoral search. And we also, I think, want to point out that we have chosen to stay with a senior pastor role right. amongst the elders uh, in recognition of one who's going to be the lead teacher. And even that was a discussion that went on for a while. You know, how should we present this and that type of thing? And it was entered into with a lot of humility and some good, very good, and as you said, robust discussion. No arguments, but it is a good, robust discussion. So I think it's good to, we don't have it all knocked down and uh, and killed and drug home, but we're, we're continuing to learn through scripture. One of the key dis uh, distinctives, uh, Chris, I'm going to direct this towards you, key distinctive of an elder that is not a requirement for those who serve as deacons is that the elder has to be able to teach. Now, you, you referenced this earlier. And I think it's important because this is an area that I think probably some people maybe look at it with a little skew that it should not be there. But I think it's important to discuss what that does mean. Mm -hmm. and what it doesn't mean. Mm -hmm. Can you help us there? Absolutely. When you first look at that able to teach, you might think, oh, do I want this guy to be the lead teaching pastor all the time? Is that what the gift is? And the answer is, well, someone who does that probably has the gift, but, but that is not the definition of it. Able to teach does not mean you have skills of communication per se. It doesn't mean that you're able to, you know, stand in front of a crowd and hold their attention. What it means is, you're able to understand the scriptures and to teach good doctrine from them. Mm -hmm. That can be just as validly demonstrated in a one-on-one -on -one situation. And it doesn't mean you actually have to be even eloquent. That's not part of it. It has, has to do with your understanding of scriptures and the ability to put them together. So this is more the, uh, apt to be teach or able to teach is more um, a, a factor of someone who has studied the scriptures who can synthesize them correctly and well and come up with good doctrine. Hmm. Now, that may or may not position someone to stand behind the pulpit just because maybe they're not a great public speaker, but it means you have the ability to think biblically and therefore to lead well. And conversely, somebody may be an excellent speaker, but maybe not as strong of an elder candidate That's simply right. because they don't they aren't as strong in the exercising of some of those other areas of responsibility mm -hmm. that are laid out in Titus 1 and and 1 Timothy 3. Yes. One of the things that you're saying that Chris I I went to Titus the parallel passage to the to 1 Timothy 3 passage that you were referencing verse 9 uh, says that this person an elder is to, is 
holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching. And this is often Mm -hmm. in personal interactions. As somebody says something Mm -hmm. and you're ready, it's not necessarily from the pulpit or from the lectern in a class. Right. Uh, We need to be careful not to make it something that it's not. Right. And the words there are so inspired (laughs) to encourage with sound teaching. Mm -hmm. And to Mm -hmm. refute those who contradict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. So there can be struggles in a church, even when you follow what you believe God leads you to practice. We went to an eldership. There are going to be struggles with an eldership or without an eldership. As it specifically regards plural elder leadership, can we just be transparent here, guys? And let's, to the <laughs> thousands and thousands who are listening right now, <clears throat> let's share some of the struggles we face in our eldership. And also, let's share some of the blessings. And, and specifically regarding the struggles, let's, let's focus on how God has blessed through those difficult times. Yeah. So I would say that uh, one thing that a plural eldership can do at times is slow down progress. Mm. Um, really? So, well said. Really? Well said. <laughs> so sometimes it can be frustratingly sl- slow. I mean, uh, we kind of plod along. Something that you think is going to be a slam dunk or that I thought is going to be a slam dunk, you come in and you discover, oh, man, we are not on the same page at all. You're not talking about recent meetings, are you? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But uh, there is something... Uh, beautiful that can happen in that process where I have thought something through. I have come with what I thought were impenetrable arguments. I come in, I listen to my brothers, and then all of a sudden I realize, man, I really didn't think this through as carefully as I thought. Mm-hmm. And there's something here that I just did not see. And and sometimes that can really slow progress down. Sometimes it can even get frustrating. But the more time we spend in these kinds of discussions, mulling over some of these decisions and and, uh, things that we're talking through, the more confidence that you gain over time that this is going to end up being better off in the end uh, for having gone through this process, this slow grinding process, than if we had just one person that was pushing forward with, with, Mm -hmm. you know, something that, that they know is best without having received the same level of input yeah yeah uh that's good let me also give a little historical perspective and that is when we first started years ago six years ago or so and we all got in the room for the first meeting was all like okay (laughs) what do we do now (laughs) (laughs) that's not that we didn't have some direction but there was so much uh, such a learning curve that has continued over these last six years i think and I think we're still getting better and smarter. But one of the things I really like about that is is uh, there are a number of now men who've been on the board who are off the board, like Aron Smith and, and many others. And, and now we have uh, a growing body of people who have been on the inside and had to wrestle deeply with the needs of the <laughs> church and have a different perspective from which they will never recover and <laughs> how they think about right. the, 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 sh- the sheep and the shepherding and all that sort of thing. And I, I suppose Ron Smith would have done this anyway, but it was just sweet to me when my wife was in the hospital in May and we were in, sitting in the emergency room and Ron Smith, being a doctor, walked by. We had masks on, but he said, is that you, Chris? He came over and prayed with us, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I just had my elder visit. Oh, wait now, Ron's not technically an elder. No, 
but he sure was functioning that's right he that certainly way. was and always will and always yeah. will and, and yeah. but 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 it raises your sights it raises your vision and just gives you a perspective and a love for the church that i think is good for the congregation the more we rotate people in and out of that mm, opportunity yeah. One of my father's favorite sayings was something that his father told him, and I'm expecting maybe his father told him uh, back many years ago, but uh, Dad always said, you will never know what love is until you have one of your own. Mm -hmm. Now, my point here is you can't understand unless you've been there, but let the three of us tell you who might be listening, it's a joy to serve with men who are faithful to to the Word of God, who are faithful to one another, and who are committed to doing what is best for the other and for God's glory. Yeah. And it's been such a, yeah. such a blessing to see that. Can I say one more thing, Bart? You can say two uh, more I don't know, if you I, want. Right. I don't know if this is necessarily uh, the, the right question to, to deal with this on, but I, I had to kind of pivot in my role as chairman at some point because I think at first I had this idea of, progress being the thing that measures mm. the success of an elder council. Mm. And in some sense, that's a, uh, that's another was corporate that to-do list. <laughs> yeah. That was, that's a, that was another corporate importation right. mm-hmm. that there are these business items that need to be checked off mm. in order to kind of measure that. That was the measuring stick for, for how well we were functioning, functioning as an elder council. And one thing, uh, and I, I, I really have to give credit to John Tarwater and, and Brandon Waltz on this. Uh, we kind of sat down together at some point and I said, man, I just really need to think about how to structure our meetings in such a way that we don't just get frustrated because of lack of progress right. for, for lack of a better description. And uh, John's admonition was to structure the meetings around the four functions of an elder that are mm-hmm. laid out in scripture. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, caring and praying, which we see articulated again and again in scripture, Acts 6, 4, 1 Timothy 3, 2, James 5, 14. And I think that we've really tried to keep that front and center. Uh, Bart uh, has kind of taken the lead on, on care and, and in terms of being a liaison to the care team with the deacons. We spend a significant uh percentage of our time as elders in our meetings and throughout the week, praying through membership lists, keeping those that are actually struggling with physical needs uh, before us. And so we've really tried to prioritize that in our meetings and at other times throughout the week. Uh, the second task is modeling the Christian life, uh, being a good example. This is spoken to over and over again in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 and 4, 16, Titus 1, 5 through 9, Hebrews 13, 17, 1 Peter 5, 3. Uh, just being a good example and what that looks like, uh, talking through, uh, for instance, uh, what that looks like uh, on a practical level, even making sure that our elder candidates have uh, disciplines in place that uh, really are uh, exemplary in terms of what their life looks like to other people, at least from the outside. Uh, Teaching and guarding doctrine, okay? I mean, this is something that is obviously a responsibility of the elders, Acts 6, uh, Acts 20, 28 through 31, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 4, 16 and 5, 17, Titus 1, 9 and 2 Timothy 2, 2. Uh, this is something that we've really tried to highlight at the beginning of our meetings because theological discussions can get, uh, you know, pretty intense. And you don't really want to have those when you're tired necessarily. So we've had a number of theological discussions at the beginning mm-hmm. and seen those as an end in themselves. And I think that's that's enriched our meetings as well. Just talked about various 
hot topics, either in the church or in the culture at large, mm-hmm. and how best to navigate those well doctrinally as elders. Mm-hmm. And finally is the category that I think we most naturally gravitate toward as elders, namely leading and overseeing. Those are the box checking things that we tend to do. Certainly. And, and those are the things that I've, I've tried to think of those four categories whenever I'm organizing a meeting and just try to make sure that we're doing something in each one of those four categories, highlighting those and even putting those on the agenda themselves so that they're always before our face. Mm-hmm. As someone who has sat in your chair for a couple of years uh, as the chair, I can assure you I understand the difficulty in that and the ease, that, the ease that with which we fall into a pattern that is sometimes counter to progress as, a, as an elder council and as elders. So... Uh, we, we've got, uh, we're going a little long here, and for those who are listening, you can turn us off and come back to us. Uh, we're enjoying ourselves. We hope you are too. <laughs> but one other thing that I can see as a benefit, but it also goes along with the struggles that we've talked about. It, yes, things can plod. Things can take longer, uh, you know, cut one or cut or uh, measure twice and cut once, and we sometimes measure three or four times before we're ready to cut. Mm-hmm. But uh, one thing that we've seen even here in the past 12 plus months is the benefit of an eldership when one of your elders leaves and we we uh, one of our elders left us physically left and to another ministry recently over the past uh, 12 months our senior pastor in fact and you've referenced our senior pastor search and one of the benefits is that i really don't see that this church is falling into the the situation that many churches fall into, even sometimes with elderships, uh, where a new guy, a new vocational elder comes in from outside, as you referenced, and all of a sudden you're pivoting, changing everything. We're not seeing that. And uh, that's a foreign concept to some who are listening to us right now. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the benefit is that we have a, we've used this phrase six years ago, we have a moving train, mm-hmm. and he wants to jump on with us. And he will add things to this eldership that nobody else can add because nobody else is gifted exactly like he is. Nobody else has the experience that this gentleman has. Uh, And so Tim or whoever it is that God is going to bring to us is going to bring on a new energy and is going to influence us in unique ways, I'm sure. So, guys, there are a number of materials that we as a group, and perhaps you individually have referenced, have been of great use to us as elders over the past six years. Can we talk about some of those key books or other resources that informed your thoughts on church eldership? Other than the Bible, of course. Well, uh, one of the topics that we actually discovered and are discussed in our theological discussions as elders Mm -hmm. during our meetings and actually Bart led us through this, uh, was just what biblical eldership looks like. We went, we read through a brief monograph version of Alexander Strzok's uh, book, Biblical Eldership. Right. Uh, there's a short, it's about a 50-page monograph, and it's extremely helpful in terms of what eldership looks like. Again, his church would have a different model from ours. It would be right. more uh, elder rule right. rather than elder-led. Uh, but that that was an extremely helpful resource. Uh, I mean, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which uh, just about everybody in our community seems to have access to in one <laughs> way or another. Uh, he does a really good job kind of laying out the case for biblical uh, eldership um, and congregational uh, governance. 
you know, kind of coming alongside that and deacons coming along and serving. And, uh, and I think that that's also a very good resource. I don't know, Chris, you had some as well. No, that, that, those were good resources for us um, to follow, but that, that's a good summary. Of it. And I would say one other that uh, was given to me, and, and again, I think it's good to cross-pollinate. We don't always have to read something that we always agree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to align fairly closely with Strauch, except for obviously the elder rule or elder lead uh, discussion. Uh, we had that discussion. He was at a conference that we were, a couple of you and Adam, you and I were at here recently, and I had a chance to talk with him, or you did too, I believe. But uh, Gene Getz has a book uh, out, and it's been out for a number of years, Elders and Leaders, God's Plan for Leading the Church. And the subtitle is A, a Biblical, Historical, and Cultural Perspective. Uh, there's a new book that was just out, uh, that was just placed out uh, within the past year, I believe, that uh, was touted at the through the Gospel Coalition or at the Gospel Coalition's recent meetings back in conference back in April. So a lot of uh, information out there. One of the things I would do to someone who is interested in this subject, I would really encourage church members to be interested and to study up on this and read so that you can have a a robust understanding of what we are going through. Can you speak though, uh, here as we close, there are peoples and certainly there is a call in scripture. Timothy says, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Uh, That noble work is, is there and it can almost go against type. You can think, oh, it goes against type if uh, somebody aspires to this. They want this leadership. You referenced that a little bit, Adam. Can one of you speak to that? Uh, is it wrong to aspire to, to desire the work of an elder or an overseer? Well, uh, not unless Paul was wrong in First Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question, good answer. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you're, but Adam referenced this too, and he's exactly right. There's a difference between aspiring to the service of leadership and aspiring to dominating other people. Amen. Yeah, that's right. True. And and uh, we all want to be on our guard about that. And that's one of the beautiful things about the brotherhood, to say, no, wait a minute, you're, you know, let's keep this, make this a humble service. And and you can you can tell pretty quickly what one's motives are. That's certainly right. Good. Yeah. I mean, I would. I, yeah. I, that's exactly right. I would say, no, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with aspiring to the office. But there has to be, uh, again, a disposition of humility, of being willing to hear if, if that is not something that other people are thinking as well. Certainly. Mm-hmm. And, Certainly. and it's like, okay, well, actually, no, you're, not, you're just not seeing uh, all of these talents and gifts that I have. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, okay, I have to receive that from other members of the congregation and, and realize, oh man, there, I need to, I need to work at what I'm do what I need to be doing better so that, so that they're actually recognizing, right. Yes. That is, that is someone who is eldering. And I, I've said for years, an elder is not an elder because he is elected or selected to be an elder. An elder is an elder because he is eldering. Yeah, that's he right. is that's right. doing it. He's been doing it. And as you said, it's been recognized. And of course, you'd better enjoy what you're doing. Uh, this mm-hmm. is not easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'd better enjoy it and you better aspire to it. And that's a God-given love and desire for God's church, that's God's right. people. 
Well, it's been a great blessing to speak today with our guests, Adam Hammett and Chris Miller. We've been discussing the biblical call for and the role of local church elders. We invite you to access recent sermons presented to the congregation of Grace Baptist Church, as well as our complete podcast catalog by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. And please join us next time. We'll be continuing in our study of the book of Matthew. And until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you again for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.